This is The Connection, a Dirty Free Hub podcast connecting gravel cyclists to where they ride through short stories about culture, history, people, places, and lands. When you think of a wilderness area, you might think of a place away from the city, a natural area, perhaps. Let's see what Eric Fernandez from Oregon Wild commonly hears people think about wilderness areas. If we are in downtown Portland, Oregon, some people might say that Forest Park is big, scary wilderness, and that that is their definition. Um, other people might have a definition where if they can't hike in a straight line for at least five days without seeing a road or another person, then it's not true wilderness. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about wilderness areas. Good. Glad to be here. Thanks. So what is a wilderness area? There are a lot of different definitions that are informal definitions, but I think they're really kind of two different big picture definitions. The informal one is just any, I think people think of a wilderness area as any natural area, you know, where you can get out into nature, whether it's pristine or not. You know, it's it's somewhere that is not a parking lot. There's not you're not on concrete, and and therefore it's you know starting to feel like uh, a wild place. And typically we'll call that uh, wilderness with a small W. And then the other one that is takes a little more explaining is the legal definition for wilderness, and we refer to that as wilderness with a capital W. And that is a designation that only Congress can give to areas of public land. So our national forests, national parks, or BLM, Bureau of Land Management land, that those areas can be designated as wilderness by Congress. I really like how you describe the little more informal definitions with a, maybe a lowercase w, the more formal definitions with the uppercase w, because, yeah, going through some of these routes, that was something we come across a lot, are these wilderness areas. And there's so much more that encompasses not just like a natural area, there's all these other things that go behind it. What kinds of things can you expect in these wilderness areas? Like what are things people are allowed to do? Maybe types of wildlife or why are these areas that are designated different from per se, maybe a recreational area or some other natural form of area? Yeah, that's a great question. So in a designated wilderness area, the general rule of thumb for what's allowed and what's not allowed is mechanized, motorized uses are not allowed. So you can go hiking, hunting, camping, fishing, rafting, canoeing, kayaking, trail running, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, picnicking, birding. All those low-impact activities are allowed and encouraged in a wilderness area. The you know clear-cutting, logging, dams those types of activities are not allowed in a wilderness area. Where there's a, a little bit of a rub is when it comes to, to mountain biking and how that overlaps with wilderness. That that can be a, an issue where mountain bikes have gears and historically since the Wilderness Act was passed in 1964, mountain bikes and, and bicycles in general have been interpreted as having being mechanized and so they're not allowed in wilderness. And so we've worked with mountain bike clubs. Anytime there's a wilderness campaign in Oregon, we we try to our best to to work things out with mountain bikers. And sometimes we go through negotiations and we sing kumbaya. And other times we don't, and we try and hash out our differences and you know redraw boundaries and adjust things to try to make it work for 
as many people as possible. And it's hard to keep everyone happy, but we do our best. When you're in a wilderness area, you know, these also tend to be the most scenic areas. So if you're hiking, camping, fishing, or whatever, they, they're a beautiful place to go and kind of disconnect from the, the day-to-day city life. You know, I think one of the surprising things about wilderness in Oregon is the average Oregonian thinks and, and the average American thinks that Oregon is almost all some version of wilderness. You know, other than, you know, a couple cities here and there, the whole state is some version of wilderness. And at least looking at the, the protected version of wilderness, we are way behind our neighbors when it comes to protecting wilderness areas on our public land. So if you look at, and, and I try to avoid statistics, but this is the one statistic I'll use. If you look at Washington state, they have protected about 10 or 11% of their state as wilderness. If you look at California, progressive state, they protected about 15% of their state as wilderness. Most people, when I ask them, how much of Oregon have we protected? It's like, oh, Oregon, super environmentally friendly, green state, we've probably protected like 30%. Sadly, here in Oregon, we are behind all neighbors. We've only protected 4% of the state as, as wilderness. So a vast majority of our state has, does not have the permanent protections that I think a lot of people assume we have here. That's embarrassing. We, we need to do a better job of protecting those last few places on the landscape that are truly wild and, and deserving and qualifying for, for wilderness protection. There's there's so much of the state that is open to all the other uses. Once they're gone, they're gone forever. That was actually very shocking with the statistics you brought up about how only about 4% of Oregon is actually protected. But kind of thinking on it, it makes a lot of sense because at least around Bend, we have a lot of BLM land and a lot of other types of land that are not, not necessarily protected, but we maybe we don't take them for granted because we're going out and about and don't realize that. But that is pretty shocking, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's, you, you make the exact point that I think um, a lot of our public lands in general, whether they're pristine wilderness or just public lands, we as Oregonians, we tend to take them for granted. Um, you know, that they'll always be there, that they will be protected. And I think the average person thinks the difference between a national park and a national forest and a state park, it's just a slightly different uniform. But when you actually look at how those public lands are managed, it's a very huge difference. You know, some places are have strong protection like wilderness, other places get clear cut. You know, looking at the Deschutes National Forest has over a thousand clear cuts that have happened on it over the many years that I know, let's see, the statistic for the Mount Hood National Forest, I think there have been 2,600 clear cuts on the Mount Hood National Forest, and, and it's the same for most of our forests in Oregon. So there's a, a history of a lot of aggressive logging, and so I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, you need to, people need to speak up if they value these places for clean water or for a place for wildlife or where they like to go to recreate, get engaged, get involved with Oregon Wild or, or any other organization that's working to protect public lands. And, and, and you know, it doesn't, you don't have to like commit your life to it. You can make a phone call or two, send an email or two, click, 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 you're done. Um, if everyone did just a little bit of that, you know, 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there, it would really, it would move the needle politically and, and make our job of protecting public lands a lot easier. So very doable, very important, but I, I think your point is solid that we, we can't take our public lands for granted. 
So that's something that Oregon Wild is working on. We're excited to see protections for the wild rogue wilderness moving forward in Congress right now. That just cleared a key hurdle out of getting through a committee uh, just recently. So that's kind of just waiting for a final vote right now in Congress. That campaign to protect the wild rogue has been around for, I think, 13 or 14 years now. So that's the longest wilderness protection campaign I've been involved in. We've worked on other area uh, campaigns to protect Mount Hood. Those took more like five or six years. That was back in 2005 to 2010. Um, And then other parts of the state where we've had some other wilderness protections. They've been on the smaller scale. So, you know, important areas, but it's it's on the small scale. Our most recent wilderness designation in Oregon was a place called the Devil's Staircase. And that's this mythical place in the Oregon coast range that's impossible to get to. Most people that try to go there get lost and end up having to call search and rescue because there's really no trails to this waterfall called Devil's Staircase. And, and we generally don't encourage people to try to find it. It's one of those like vortexes where GPS doesn't work because the canyons are so steep and everybody, you know, we're all Oregonians. So we all think, ah, I, I can navigate a map. I'll find it. And then it's like, Oh my God, that was such rough terrain. I got lost 10 times. I was lucky to make it out alive four days later kind of thing. So this is, I'm, and I'm, I'm not really exaggerating there. That Those are the stories you hear about the whole staircase. But it's this really neat place. One, it's a cool waterfall. It's not a huge waterfall, but it's really neat, secluded waterfall. Great for wildlife habitat. And the Oregon Coast Range has been butchered by logging almost everywhere. This is, if you look on a satellite image from outer space, the Devil's Staircase Forest is one of the only places that shows up as this blob of dark green forest. So it's really uh, a key spot that um, I think a lot of folks are pretty glad to see protected in the, in the Oregon Coast Range. And that was just in 2019. So so we're, we're working to, to try to do a better job of protecting our wild places and our wilderness areas, but more, more work remains to be done. Yeah, you were also mentioning how mountain biking can actually be a little bit one of those gray areas of a factor um, due to the more heavier impact produced from it. But we have a lot of routes that actually go on the gravel roads and surrounding single track that are happen to be through some of these wilderness areas. So what are some ways that like as cyclists and even recreational users that are have some lower impact, what are ways we can be a little more cautious of these areas? Yeah, I think that's a a good question for probably anyone who recreates on our public lands is, you know, one, be a little bit more engaged with organizations and campaigns and efforts to protect our public lands. So, you know, one one way that um, people can get involved and something people can support is that we're working on right now is the River Democracy Act. And it's not a wilderness campaign, it's a wild and scenic rivers campaign, but it's, it's really significant in its scale and, and the areas that it will protect around Oregon. And, and it's a wild and scenic river designation is probably one step down from being the, the gold standard that wilderness designation is, but it's pretty good. It's pretty solid protection that, that lasts a long time. And so, uh, you know, calling Senator Wyden and saying, hey, Senator Wyden, thank you for introducing the River Democracy Act. Please pass that bill this year writing your uh, local city council or your county commissioner, asking them to support it, or becoming a member of Oregon Wild or any other public lands organization and is a way to do it. And then, you know, as far as things that people can do when you're out there recreating, some of us who recreate on public lands, and, and I'm guessing yourself as well, 
are probably very familiar with the, the concept of leave no trace, but a lot of people aren't familiar with that idea. And so both practicing that and encouraging friends to practice that, I think is, is very helpful. And so, you know, that's, and, and for those who aren't familiar with that, leave no trace is basically when you go out to the, your public lands to recreate everything you bring with you, you bring it back home. So pack it in, pack it out is another way of kind of describe leaving places better off than when you found them. So even packing out any trash that you find along the way, but not definitely don't leave any trash, don't leave toilet paper around, that kind of thing. So there's lots of great concepts and, and a quick Google search on Leave No Trace will get you some great tips on, on what the, the rest of the story is there. But it's it's a simple concept of you know, leave places better than you found them or, or at least as good as when you found them. Yeah, that's always a good thing to brush up on too. Yeah, it's good. And also, you know, another key one is like, for example, here in Central Oregon, we have certain trails that are very few, but there are some like the flag line trail, which is closed during certain seasons because it goes through a sensitive area where elk have their, their calves. And so the success of whether or not those calves will survive and the moms will survive really depends on having as little to no disturbance as possible. And so there are these seasonal trail closures that can help elk do uh, have higher success rates when it comes to breeding. And so that's really important given that elk numbers are not doing well across the whole state and in central Oregon. So, you know, obeying those closures is, is really important. Those are in place for a reason. And, and again, you know, we have hundreds of miles in, in central Oregon here and, and as well as across the rest of the state where folks can, can be riding or hiking or whatever. Um, so that's, that's another good, good general rule of thumb. And it's not just about how do these public lands serve me, myself, and I? You know, these are places that play a critical role for our whole community and for wildlife too. It's not always just about us humans. It can be about the wildlife that have no other choice. These are their homes. And so we need to make sure they have a place on the landscape to survive and thrive. And the good news is there's plenty of room for us to have this ha happy medium where we can do all kinds of different fun adventures of recreationally and, and also have a place for, for wildlife. So I think it, it's possible to have our cake and eat it too. So that's that's the good news. Sometimes the solutions aren't that easy. And, you know, when, when it comes to big issues like climate change, protecting our public lands is, is really key. It's, you know, that is quickly becoming one of the biggest issues of the day. And our, our forests here in Oregon are protecting those to store carbon is one of the most important things that we can do as Oregonians to help slow climate change. So we need to ride our bikes more instead of driving. We need to change our light bulbs. But to have the biggest impact that we can have as Oregonians, protecting our forests, because these trees grow fast, they grow big, and they live for a very long time. And those trees, it, that's all carbon. That's all carbon storage. So here in Central Oregon, we've got ponderosa pine trees. They can live up to 800 years old. That's an amazing amount of long-term carbon storage. So that really makes a difference. If we can do that instead of cutting these trees every 40 or 50 years, that's that's a, a key role that our public lands can play. So supporting those efforts, I think, is something that we as people who appreciate our public lands and recreate on them, we then get the side benefits of it's better scenery. You know, I prefer to hike through a shaded old growth forest or to ride through a shaded old growth forest in the summer rather than a, a stump field that is baked in the sun and the trails are all turning to sand. 
So, you know, there, we have we have choices. So let's choose wisely. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's I, th- I think it's uh, that's becoming more of a prevalent thing, especially a lot of people riding through certain trails in Bend. You're starting to see a lot more of those, the logging action that's happening there. And I think it was a good point you brought up about like the elk, um, the elk migration in the well, because I think it's easy for people once the snow melts to just want to get out and ride or get out and hike. But kind of having that firsthand look at it and impact and knowing about that, it definitely gives more of that connection to those places and like, oh, you know, let's definitely follow closures and things like that. So, well, thank you so much, Eric. This was super great to have you again. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Dirty Free Hub is a nonprofit organization fueled by your generous contributions. Find us at dirtyfreehub.org.